Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott joining you. This is Oilers Now. Uh, we are in Detroit. The Edmonton Oilers uh, taking on the Detroit uh, Red Wings. Um, happy and sad news uh, for you. Just wanted to pass along a special shout-out uh, to a long-time listener to the show, Mitch Jewell out of uh, Westlock. He's uh, turning 46 today. Uh, great guy. Uh, we've got to know him over the years uh, with the likes of uh, Barry and Brendan Hunka, sometimes making the Oilers now road trips into places specifically like Penticton. He always comes out to the rookie tournament. The guy probably could be a NHL scout if he wanted to be a pretty smart guy. And a former primetime Baron passed away over the course of the last little while, Dwayne Pierre. Uh, I was a ringer on the primetime Barons about 30 plus years ago, back when I only had one uh, uh, chin. Uh, Dwayne was 59 years of age, had been dealing with an illness. Uh, for a, a number of uh, 69 years of age, and he'd been dealing with an illness for a number of years. Um, but uh, Dwayne was a terrific fellow, pretty good little hockey player as well, passed away at the age of 69. So we're just working on negotiating contacts at this time with Frank Cervalli for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. Find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the races. We'll tell you that guests and winners now receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. February 11th to the 15th is Valentine's Week at Roos Chris. It's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow the sizzle to 99.90 Jasper Avenue and tell Chris and Chef Eltoff that Oilers now sent you. Brennan, you just interrupt me when we got Frank. Well, here okay. I am interrupting you, Bob. All right, there we go. We head off to the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline and welcome back one of the most plugged in men in the business, Frank Saravalli. Frank, how you doing? I'm good, Bob. I was just listening to you, and uh, I feel like we're checking some of the boxes in the social media bingo game. You had your reference to your Bantam hockey teammate there or whatever level you played at. All that's left is for me and you to maybe do some tequila shots for uh, the skills competition. Yes, I, I, I saw that, and somebody said then Stoffer can get into it. And uh, Whoever Gagadowski, wrote that is a funny bastard, I'll tell you. I was howling. We, well, there you go. It's not a word you hear often on Canadian radio, but uh, good for you. Well, you know, you can say fat bastard because it was the name of an actual character, was it not, in one of the uh, Mike Myers movies? Right? It, it might so, be how you would refer to me, so who knows? Oh, well, I, or, or, or ditto. Uh, uh, my, my drinking days, uh, geez, uh, my daughter's listening to the show right now, have long since passed. I have, uh, uh, there's certain things we don't like. You know, my wife, uh, and I said this once, Derek Francis, you know, I guaranteed my wife a long time ago that I, I wouldn't use a certain skill set that I previously once acquired. And uh, for you, Eric, I would be willing to, I am right out of a Denzel Washington. <laughs> Right out of the Denzel Washington. Remember the, what was the name of the movie that Denzel Washington was in where he plays the, the former day? CIA agent? That's, uh, oh, it was based yep. on a, uh, the TV show back in the 80s. Somebody text us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line, would you? What's that? Is that the equalizer you're thinking the of? The equalizer, yes. I, I had some fun with Eric one day. For you, I'd be willing to change <laughs> I was totally joking around. He laughed. Uh, all right, yes. Hey, Frank, let's get to it. Um, we'll start with Bo Horvat. Boom, it happened. And you predicted that this was an inevitability once the New York Islanders acquired Horvat from the Vancouver Canucks. Are you surprised how quickly Lou Lamarillo moved and also how brutally honest Lou was in his assessment of the contract? 
Uh, no to both. Apparently, the line that he used is one that he would use often in the Toronto Maple Leafs front office when he worked there. A few uh, too many million dollars and too many years. Um, and and timing-wise, no. I mean, look, I'm actually surprised that it took so long to announce it. I think this deal was done and uh, in the drawer, so to speak, well before uh, the All-Star weekend itself. And... The Horvat camp, I think, was feeling really good about the spot that they were in. You know, whether or not they ended up staying on Long Island, where apparently Bo was pretty excited to be heading, uh, or whether he ended up hitting the market. And that's kind of the thing that surprised me the most about the deal was that the Islanders paid every cent of market value. And probably when you look at it, all things considered, with the eighth year, didn't properly leverage that. Um, to really push the AAV down. Bo Horvat's a real good player. If I was Vancouver, I probably would have kept Horvat over JT Miller. But I think I like the Ryan Nugent Hopkins contract at $5.125 million more than I like the Bo Horvat deal at eight. What about you, Frank? I'm actually having a hard time hearing you here. I don't know if that's on my end or yours. Do I have you, Frank? You there? Hello? Yeah, now I can hear you. There you go. All right. Uh, the Nugent Hopkins deal, 5.125 per Bo Horvat at eight. I think it's Nugent Hopkins deal just got a lot better. You know what I'm saying? Well, this season has been, I think, something that the Oilers, Nugent Hopkins, I, I don't know that anyone saw this year coming. I mean, to, to have 60 points in 50 games, um, you know, already kind of closing in on the, his career high of 69 back in – 2019 um ryan nugent hopkins let's face it uh this is a fact he is one of the very best i had him ranked number one as the number one power play specialist in the league when you look at his points that he's piled up 32 of his 60 so north of 50 percent more than half of all of his points come on the man advantage and you might uh, not you specifically, but you know, fans elsewhere might look at that and, and hold their nose and say, yeah, but he's doing it with some of the best players in the world. I don't care uh, whether it's on the power play, whether it's at even strength, you need that productivity. And the fact that Nugent Hopkins is there, um, I think he helps make that entire unit work. So uh, yeah, it looks good right now for the Oilers. I'd imagine at some point, uh, not probably this year, but at some point during that contract, there will be an adjustment down. Uh, it's it's happening. It will happen at some point. But, you know, point well made that at that number, it's a very, very reasonable deal right now for the Edmonton Oilers. And as you know, Frank, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has always been an elite power play performer. Long before Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl get in here, his rookie season in 11-12, I think he had 23 points on special teams out of 52 he did, that yes. year. And the Oilers didn't have, you know, the best player of his generation and another Hart Trophy caliber player uh, on the he's, ice. With he's already, amazingly enough, this year set a new career high in, in power play assists. He already has 25 um, his previous high was last year, 22, and that was in 13 more games. So, Frank, on, th on Friday's show when we were down in Calgary, and again, I went and saw Bakersfield play back-to-back -back nights, which was a contributing factor in me saying this, 
Because there's lots of factors. As a, you know, three months ago, I don't know if Jacob Chickman would have made sense for Edmonton. But I have more information now. Not just, and people say, oh, you talked. It's not talking to the manager. It's, we, you know, you could have made an argument three months ago. The Oilers needed a shutdown, shot-suppressing defenseman that can help, you know, take some minutes off on the PK. Well, they might have that, and his name is Vincent DeHarnay, who's six foot six mm-hmm. and a half. We've now seen him play games. The Oilers haven't lost a game in regulation since he's been here. Uh, Jacob Chickren wasn't healthy three months ago. He's been pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Oilers team also, Frank, has a positive goal differential when McDavid and Dreisaitl are not on the ice five on five. That's a sign of a team that's probably pretty good. So all of this lends itself to me to, to suggest, and I have no inside knowledge of whether or not the orders that I tell you, whether or not that the orders are willing to pursue it or not, but with all seriousness, if it's me, I'm more open to it today than I was three months ago. Does that make sense based on those qualifiers that you're seeing an Oilers team round into form? Deharnay's given them a different type of defenseman that maybe changes the narrative as to what they need. Does it kind of make sense, Frank? I can see where you're heading, and I do think those qualifiers are really important, and it's exactly why, you know, way back in December and January, you and I were talking on this show about the idea of the Oilers being patient, and a lot of people were upset, saying Ken Holland needs to do something. You know, he's got to make a trade to fix this team. It's broken. What are they doing? Why are they waiting so long? And I think this is kind of exactly the reason. And it's not just that, but it's also the other considerations and watching someone like Philip Broberg play um, a lot better. And he's rounded into form. And he's someone that really looks like he's going to be an important part of where the Oilers are going. That when you take all those things and you mash them together, maybe it's changed a bit. I also think, though, that it's possible to see him as a fit and also still think that the acquisition price might be too high. And I have no indication yet as to whether or not the Coyotes are going to blink. Depending on who you talk to, it's two first-round picks and a prospect, uh, and the Coyotes are willing to take a a contract back. Of course they will to make it work. Uh, Or it's a first-round pick, a first-round pick equivalent, meaning a recent first-round pick or a true grade-A top-level prospect and then a B-level prospect. Whatever way you slice it, it's an expensive price, I believe, for a guy that uh, not knocking Jacob Chikrin at all. I, there's surplus value in his contract uh, with the couple years remaining, but not to an exorbitant extent. He's not an $8 million defenseman. He's probably not a $7 million defenseman. So what exactly is he? And then relate that to the acquisition cost to find out whether or not it actually makes sense for the Oilers. I've personally, you know, the last number of months didn't see it as a stylistic fit. You could talk me into it, but I also don't look at him and say, oh, this is the guy that's going to put the Oilers over the top. All right, so let's go back to acquisition cost. Bill Armstrong did what for Doug Armstrong? What sort of area did he pretty much head up? Their scouting department? Yeah, the amateur side, right? He is an amateur guy. And if you look at where Arizona theoretically is hoping to go, I would think the preference for them to be uh, what they'd have to get in terms of a trade 
would be two future number ones, not a prior number one, and then a number one. Does that make sense? Yes, because unlike some other teams that have been stockpiling assets, you know, the Coyotes, they were in a spot uh, previously where they had multiple. They don't now. They have one first-round pick, one second-round pick, and two-thirds. So they've previously drafted multiple, but the more shots you get, and especially in this draft, where you know if you depending on who you talk to and, and the way they view the draft, they have Connor Bedard one and one alone. Then you've got two to five in in the next group of of franchise players, and then five to twenty are impact players that are really going to help your team. So if you're Arizona and you can find a way to get, you know, another pick in that five to 20 range, if you can, that makes a huge difference for your team, given where you're rebuilding. Yeah. And and I, I think it's minimum. I mean, you talked about a number one and equivalent number one or conversely two number ones in the next couple of years. Um, if you're if you're the Coyotes moving into a new building, you probably want and you're Bill Armstrong and you've made your cake by being a, a good draft guy. You're you're the guy that wants to make those picks, not necessarily taking former number ones. Yeah, That's a steep you, cost. You you increase ones. your odds. Like so if you look at the Coyotes draft board, and by the way, I put in parentheses if you get a new arena. If you look at the Coyotes draft board, yes. they've made four first round picks under Bill Armstrong in the last two drafts. Not all of those guys are going to pan out. Logan Cooley, Dylan Gunther, Connor Geeky, they all look pretty good right now. Not sure about uh, Maverick Lamoureux, but they're in a spot where if you hit on 75% of them, you're winning all day long. So you want the power, if that's your prowess, to make the pick. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, Jonathan Taze, I know you had some information on that front involving Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane. Uh, do you have any idea which teams are on the list for the two set players? Not yet. They don't even know which teams are on the list. Uh, Mid-February, so another week from now, 10 days from now, is when you're likely to see um, that information begin to be gathered by Chicago. And I'm still not 100% convinced yet that Patrick Kane is going to move. I think there's lots of determining factors um, that, you know, could help shape that. And I don't know that he's convinced that he's ready to leave. I don't know that he knows that it's time yet. So will there be something that pushes him in that direction? Will there be a team that expresses interest that gets him excited? Potentially. When it comes to Taves, I think he's much more ready to go. I think the bigger question is, given where his game is, how significant is the interest level from teams? I'd imagine there will be, you know, a small handful um, that are really intrigued and s- to see if they can, you know, give him a shot in the arm. And just to put a bow on the cane part, I do think there's real concern about his injury. I think it's a, a hip issue that is probably not going away anytime soon that he's going to have to manage. We're joined by Daily Faceoffs, Frank Saravalli for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. Find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the races. Hey, Frank, I saw quite an extensive piece on uh, Sam Lafferty of the Chicago Blackhawks that you put out a couple days ago. I know that uh, one of the uh, media pundits out there that's in the analytics made a comment about Sam Lafferty, 13 goals, really. But to me, Sam Lafferty knows exactly what he is. And good teams, and you can perhaps educate our listeners, 
good teams are looking at this guy as a legitimate option to help him out in the bottom six. Yeah, I kind of view him, and since he's coming from the same team as as Brandon Hagel light, and I know people are gonna look at that and laugh and say, seriously, that guy got two first round picks last year, and you're comparing him to a guy that was traded for an AHL salary dump in Alex Nylander. And the reason for that is he's got an elite skill set at the things that he's really good at. Like his speed is, you know, top ten, top fifteen players in the league depending on who you talk to and he can kill penalties he's dangerous obviously shorthanded second in the league in shorthanded goals this year there are some deficiencies in his game to be completely honest he doesn't have the natural awareness he doesn't necessarily use his feet all the time he has nine penalties taken against 10 drawn for instance with someone of his speed it should be a way better ratio So there's things to work on, and I think he's sort of a classic diamond in the rough when you consider that he has one more year remaining at $1.15 million. It's easy to bury. Um, I I view him like as a guy that Tampa is probably going to be all over. They're looking for depth. They're looking for help on their PK, and they're looking for speed. You look at their fourth line, it's kind of slow. So... He's he's one of those guys that I think with his raw physical ability, there's probably a team eager um, to kind of see if they can draw that out of him in a more consistent way. And I think someone's going to do it. It's the the return is going to surprise some people. I'll say I'll say yeah, that. I, I would agree. Uh, all right, Detroit. They're at seventy six million. They've only got eleven players signed next year at thirty nine million. What's going to happen with Larkin and Bertuzzi in particular? You know who was the second most excited person when Bo Horvat signed his deal, aside from Horvat himself? Dylan Larkin. Yes, sir. I mean, look, that contract sort of perfectly sets the table for Dylan Larkin, and I can tell you that his camp was was pretty excited to see that deal too because Steve Eiserman, um, the, uh, he's a stone-cold killer. It's been a tough slog to this point in the negotiating process. Uh, there's been very little wiggle room. There's been very uh, little, as, as much as things have remained cordial, there's been very little progress on that front. And, you know, I, I think what Steve Eiserman is using as leverage here is the fact that Dylan Larkin, he's basically betting that Dylan Larkin won't leave. That he says, here's the number we're prepared to pay you. We're not going above it. He probably won't blink. And Larkin has played his entire career in the state of Michigan. Ann Arbor uh, for the development program. Uh, University of Michigan, now a, a longtime Red Wing. Like He's a Detroit kid. Are you really going to walk from that? And I think that's what he's betting on and is going to try to squeeze him on. But if you look at the at the production from Larkin, and he's done it on some pretty bad Detroit teams over the years, he has a much higher offensive ceiling than Bo Horvat. Three times he's sort of been knocking on the door of that 80-point pace. And he's someone that, you know, when you look at the best pace from Horvat, aside from this season, it's 63 points. So if if you can look at Horvat and say He's someone that's eight times eight point five. If you're Larkin, you know you're in the eight times nine point five range. I believe that's at least what you're asking for, and maybe you settle at nine or whatever it ends up being. 
but I think they've got a long way to go and we've got 24 days until the deadline Does Steve Eiserman just turn around if it doesn't get done and say, I've got to move this guy. One final one for you. Bit of a curveball. It's another Detroit guy, but a guy that's not up right now. Jakob Verana. Yep. This guy, even strength scoring-wise, the last few, this guy can score. Up there with Ovechkin. Like, he is a Goals per 60 minutes, it's an enormous number. Yeah, 22 goals and 39 game played with the Red Wings. It's dealt with some off-ice issues. Is this a player that gets bought out in the offseason by Detroit and then there ends up being a quiet market for him from some of the better teams in the league that realize that this guy can perhaps come in and be a number six forward, like a second-line winger, and can contribute offense because the numbers would indicate, the advanced analytics, that there's a player there. Well, there's no doubt there's a player there. The question is, are you comfortable with the person? And, you know, I, I don't, certainly don't want to violate any part of the NHL player assistance program, but I think it's pretty obvious that uh, there's been some off-ice issues in terms of, uh, I believe it's a drug abuse issue. And when you have something like that, you know, are you in in the spot where you're confident that the player you might be acquiring? I don't think it's going to come down to a buyout. I wouldn't be surprised if a team is willing to make a trade for Verana before the deadline, and he's going to be added to my trade targets board when we've got a new one on Friday. And I think the play is if you are making a pitch to Steve Eiserman, how about you retain minus the part where it would cost you for a buyout this summer. So if you can retain the same as what the buyout would cost you, I don't know what the asset return is, if there is any, uh, but that would seem to be the play for a team to make. Frank, I'm coming to Philadelphia tonight after the game. I'm going to be in Philly tomorrow. You going to have your credit card ready? Uh, I could maybe uh, get my alligator arms together. And uh, I don't know. Are you, re- you ready for some tequila? We got to make the people happy. Awesome stuff. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks for your time, Frank. See ya. That is Frank Cervalli from Daily Faceoff. He is brought to you every Tuesday on Oilers Now by the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. Find event schedules at thehorses.com. We'll see you at the Horses. Do you want to mention we're heading back to California this April with New West Travel. You fly to L.A. and Anaheim to watch the Oilers play the Kings and the Ducks. This New West Travel hockey package includes airfare, four nights at the Marriott L.A. Live, lower bowl game tickets for both games. We'll have a welcome reception with yours truly and special guests for the California hockey package called New West Travel or visit newestravel.com. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. When we come back, a one-on-one sit-down conversation with Edmonton Oilers general manager, former Detroit GM, Ken Holland. This is Oilers Now Live from Detroit.